This edition of the CheerCast is proud to promote Oregon Elite Cheerleading. Oregon Elite offers high-quality team training, award-winning choreography, and the largest pre-state competition in Oregon. Did you know this past year, nine teams that worked with Oregon Elite took home trophies at state? Interested in doing a private camp? What about having them do some choreography for your program? For more information and prices, contact them today on Instagram or Twitter at GoOECheer. That's G-O-O-E-Cheer. Cheerleading Coaches Association presents the Cheercast with Coach James Underwood, taking you inside everything cheer. Powered by DN Cheer and broadcasting from inside the media room at Thurston High School. Here is your host, James Underwood. Hey, welcome to a special summer edition of the Cheercast. I am Coach James, and wherever and however you may be listening to the Cheercast, thanks for making us part of your day. This is kind of an impromptu edition of the Cheercast. Um, wasn't planning on recording this. I think most of you know that I'm from Corvallis. Uh, and I drove up here today to visit with my mom. I'm going to go grab a bite to eat with her later. But I was on Instagram, not while I was driving, I promise. But I saw that NCA Cheer is doing a camp um, over at McGalligs Field Fieldhouse at Oregon State. So I thought I'd stop by and say hi to some of my peeps. Maybe take a few pictures for the OCCA and social media while I was here. You know, and right now they're they're on an hour lunch break. So I thought I'd sneak over to the Memorial Union, which, by the way, if you haven't been to Oregon State and seen campus, it's a rainy day and it is still one of the most beautiful campuses just around. So found a nice quiet spot in the Memorial Union, had some time to kill. So thought I'd record an episode of the Cheercast. By the way, speaking of Corvallis, anything else cheer related going on up here? I don't know. Maybe I'll have to swing by the Beaver Athletic Department on my way out to see how my collegiate all mater cheer team's doing. I mean, I'm sure it's probably pretty quiet around there. I think they're, what, 35 days away from daily doubles? So, eh, who knows? Maybe I'll swing by and see some familiar faces. You know, I was thinking on the way up here from Eugene about something. This past year, my wife and I finally cut the cable. No more cable, got rid of Comcast, right? The evil empire, right? And we realize that especially because we have kids, we almost never watch anything live anymore. I mean, honestly, other than maybe sports, and the Blazers went on a nice run, so I definitely had to get a little bit creative with trying to watch like Blazer games. But for the most part, anything else, as long as we were willing to wait, it all ended up on YouTube or the various apps. You know, one of the few shows I still watch uh, is The Walking Dead. And even that, this past year, I'd get frustrated before we cut the cable because I would watch it, and then an hour later, I would be on the AMC app, and they would have the whole episode uploaded there anyways, right? So I was like, why, why do I even have cable? <laughs> They're going to put the episode on the AMC app, right? You know, and I used to watch the news. Now I have the TuneIn app, and I can listen to the news live. I can watch, listen to CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, uh, anything I want, I can listen to it. I just can't see their faces, but who cares? Uh, the TuneIn app is great because I can listen to it. And and really, probably for the past five years, I don't know if I've actually watched the news. I probably just kind of had it on in the house and it was really more background noise anyway. So not seeing their faces really doesn't change anything. You know, having kids, I just would always have the news on and it would be there, but I rarely actually watched it. But So now I can listen to it. And really, I can listen to it on demand. So if I miss something on the news, when I'm putting Lincoln to bed, uh, sometimes I'll be rocking him to sleep and I'll throw my headphones in. I 
have the TuneIn app and I can listen to the news from an hour before that I had missed, you know. What really convinced us, though, to cut the cable was when we truly realized how much content was on apps like YouTube. You know, my son Mason, you know, about two months ago, he randomly asked me about The Hobbit. And that was one of my favorite books growing up. I loved it. So I got really excited. Uh, you know, but I, you know, I started thinking, like, there's no way he's five years old. There's no way he's going to watch six movies that span over 14 hours, right? There's just, he doesn't have the attention span. There's just too many lulls in the movie. And, you know, and besides, as a parent, there's definitely some scenes that I didn't necessarily think that, you know, he, he maybe he was ready for. I mean, nothing nothing super gruesome or really inappropriate, but he's five. So, you know, there's a couple scenes that I, I, I didn't think that maybe he should see yet. So anyways, to make a long story short, um, I was able to find almost every essential clip for The Hobbit and then The Lord of the Rings um, on YouTube. Uh, and I was able to create a, a watch list, and we literally, over the course of two nights, we watched all six movies in basically two to five minute clips, right? And it was a perfectly digestible amount for Mason as we'd watch a clip and we'd go do something, we'd come back, we'd watch another clip, and he now understands the entire premise of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. I mean, we still watch movies, right? Like in full. I mean, I swear, what's that one? No Malone. Has anyone seen that on Netflix? I, maybe you have. I've watched it like 20 times. I mean, he, Mason loves that movie, so we still watch movies, but like YouTube has radically changed how we, and really the entire world consumes media today. So here's what I was thinking about on my drive up today, and I promise it will all relate back to cheer. Just hang with me. But before we get there, you have to understand the greatest difference between YouTube and old school TV or cable. Cable always operated on a me versus you mentality. That meant that back in the day, if I was watching a show, say like Friends, that show was the winner the show on ABC was the loser. You see, everything was a binary choice. You either chose this or you chose that. It was us or them, me or you. That's the way that the cable TV networks looked at it. Even if you DVR'd it, I know some people say, what if you DVR'd it? You could watch both. Yes, but just to give you a little bit of context and understand that, if you DVR'd something and TV stations knew all of that, they had ways of getting all that data, they charged the most ad revenue for the most popular shows. The shows in 2004, 2005, people were watching directly. They knew that if you DVR'd something, then you were probably going to skip over it with the ads, right? So they couldn't charge as much for ad revenue. So it truly was winners and losers, first place, second place, however you want to look at it. YouTube, though has changed all that. YouTube has radically changed our entire society, especially around media. Now with YouTube, multiple channels, YouTube channels, can be winners. My son and I, we were really into Star Wars in our family. My son got into it about two years ago, and so therefore we are all into it. And what happens is we all watch a YouTube channel on Star Wars. Maybe it's a Star Wars clip or maybe it's a, it's a, a channel that's specifically do, uh, dedicated to like Star Wars books or Star Wars theory, right? Whatever, whatever it might be. I, we kind of geek out. Sorry to go there with you guys. But the idea is all five channels that we watch – they all can be successful. They can all make a lot of money. They all have 500,000, 800,000, a million views, and they're actually not hurting each other. They're helping each other. 
And what's really neat is if you if you really watch a lot of YouTube, and you'll see like the big time YouTubers, not the people that are putting on random funny clips and those types of things, you know, videos of their cats, but the big time YouTubers, whatever it is that you might be watching, a lot of times they collaborate together. I started noticing this, that you would have this uh, Star Wars Theory channel would give a shout out to uh, this Star Wars uh, comics channel, right? And they would actually say, hey, if you like our content, check out our friends over at blah, blah, blah. And they're actually helping each other because they know that if someone's really into Star Wars, it's not a me versus you. It's we're part of a community and we can all be successful. And we there's a lot of money to be made on ad revenue by people clicking on these different videos. Now, contrast that to Keeble, when was the last time, right, you ever saw um, ABC say, hey, if you like this show, check out our friends over at CBS. They have equally great content, right? Like, we know that's not happening. So similarly, I see this happening in the world of cheer. You see, cheer in like say the 90s and 2000s, it was all about proving to the world that we were a sport. I mean, I remember I was cheering in college and it was just like what was going on at the high schools. You know, how many times did you hear athletes say, how come these athletes get this, but cheer squads only get this, or we work just as hard as them. I mean, it was truly an us versus them mentality, just like cable. When I first started at Thurston, I remember a bunch of the kids had these shirts that said, athletes lift weights, dot, 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 but cheerleaders lift athletes. Well, why did they have those shirts? Because they felt like they had to prove to themselves and really all the other programs at the school that they were also athletic, that they were a sport. But cheers come a long ways, and that's what's so great. And, and there's still some communities, I get it, that are out there that don't appreciate their cheer and dance teams as much as, you know, other sports. And I, I wish that didn't happen. I mean, heck, I've got a friend that coaches dance in the state of Oregon. Her team has won, I think, four state titles in dance. They still have to practice at 530 in the morning because the volleyball team gets, you know, precedence with the gym. So, I mean, and I'll have to look it up. I don't know if that volleyball team has, has, they certainly haven't won that many state titles. I don't know if they've even won one. But so here's, I mean, so we get it that there's still some inequities that are going on. There's still some thoughts by maybe administrators, certain people in the community in some places. But by and large, right, people are beginning to, to are, begin to figure it out that we can all be successful together. And and I'll, and I'll say this, I mean, you're always going to catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Isn't that how the old saying goes? I mean, I, you'll never get an athletic director that will say, you know, I was reading the back of your shirt and you're totally right. The fact that you lift humans totally means you deserve more gym space, right? I mean, that's just not happening. But like YouTube, I've actually found that, especially during my time at Thurston, that when one program is successful, it doesn't have to come at the expense of other programs. And most schools, most cheerleading programs, most just you know communities are beginning to figure this out, that it's just the opposite, actually. I mean, at Thurston alone, in the last year, we've had football win, we've had basketball win, uh, we've had... Um, what else? We've had our baseball team almost win. Cheers won, right? Uh, girls soccer has done really well. And so you're starting to see that programs realize that they can be successful along with other teams as well. It's not an us versus them. It's not football has to win and they get all the attention or uh, girls volleyball has to win and they get all the attention. In fact, we are much better when we are all successful. 
In fact, I've actually noticed the opposite. When it's only one team that's successful at a sport, at a school, most of the high schoolers, they actually kind of resent them, right? If it's only one team, and I've literally seen this play out at, at schools where you have one really good program, maybe it's the boys soccer team, people are literally like, screw those bastards, they think they're better than everybody. But when everyone is successful, you you really feel like you can celebrate each other, you really feel good when you have your girls basketball team, your swim team, and your cheer team all having successful winter seasons, everybody just feels better about it. And it's not, the girls basketball team doesn't have to win and the cheerleading team has to be bad, right? I mean, they can both be successful. There's room, just like YouTube, for lots of success. I think the same is true when it comes to actual cheer teams with each other around the state. I mean, Westview being great isn't hurting Aloha and Mountainside. In fact, I would say just like YouTube, you can make the argument that Westview being great helps everybody in the Beaverton area. They've created a culture in that Beaverton area where they're seen as on par as all the other sports. And and just like YouTube, where there's five, what, you know, different Star Wars channels, um, you see the Beaverton's area, you'll see on any given year, three, four, five cheer teams that are successful. One's not taking away from the other's success. They're actually helping each other. And, and, and sure, there's competition. That that I mean that and I think that's that's very healthy and that's very good. But what you don't see is one program being successful at the expense of another program. I mean, no way. I mean think about Central Oregon. I mean, it's not like the Bend Area schools are saying, screw it, let's just scrap our cheer program because Ridgeview has a good program. Um, let's just create another sport or do it, put our energy in another sport. No way. I truly believe that the the, the emergence uh, of, of Ridgeview in, in Central Oregon has helped the resurgence of cheer in that entire area. I mean, how great was it the last couple of years to be able to see South Albany and West Albany both being successful at local competitions. I never once felt like South Albany's success was ever hurting West Albany. In fact, I would say that South Albany's success helped get West Albany back up after a couple down years, uh, helped them get back up to that area of you know a truly elite program. I hope this all makes sense. I mean, I, I, I feel like most of the cheer world gets it. You know, it's no longer an us versus you world. It's no longer the cheer team versus the volleyball team, or it's no longer this cheer team versus this cheer team. There's room for everybody to be successful, you know, especially in an age where you have options, game day, state, nationals. I mean, what are your team's strengths? I mean, really, the moral of the story is work hard and be great at what you do, and then don't be afraid to celebrate other programs and other team successes. In the end... It just makes our community better, and really, it makes us all better because we all push each other. Anyways, this is kind of an impromptu show, so I hope I don't go off on too many tangents. Um, I do have some important news and notes, uh, and then I thought it would be really fun to just open up the mailbag. I have a lot of questions from the past year, a lot of tweets. Uh, I'll try to get to as many as I can. You know, Some are kind of random. But a few are really serious and really good questions that I think a lot of programs and a lot of coaches would like to hear. Um, I hope it's fun, uh, and hopefully, maybe it gives you something to listen to, you know, during the dog days of summer. From Portland to Medford, Ontario to Coos Bay, and everywhere in between, it's time for news and notes from around the state.
You know, I was thinking, and I promise this is my last thought on this, but you want the quintessential example of programs feeding off of each other's success? Look no further than South Albany Cheer and Dance. Love what they're doing um, with those two programs. You see, a lot of high schools, if one program is successful like the dance team, oftentimes that's coming at the expense of the cheer program or vice versa. And that's really tragic because it doesn't have to be that way. I know when Robin and I first took over at Thurston, there was major bad blood between the cheer and dance teams. But if you, you know Robin and I, if you know us at all, we quickly put a kibosh to that and we started building a cheer and dance community. It, it, it doesn't have to be that the dance team's great and the cheer team struggles. Both teams can be good. Look at, look at South Albany, like I was saying. I mean, what Coach Courtney is doing is amazing. You know, cheer, they've won, what, four in a row? You know, dance, they got third this year. I mean, it, it's it's pretty easy to see that, like, cheer isn't hurting the dance team. I mean, they're helping each other. I mean, I think it was just two years ago, if I remember right. I'd have to look at the records, but both teams won state at South Albany, right? So you had a, a state champion in dance, and you had a state champion in cheer. There, there's certainly room. It doesn't have to be a you versus us or a me versus you type situation. There's a lot of success to be had, and it doesn't have to be the, at the expense of others, so... All right, enough of that. Um, let's get to some news and notes. First thing, one-day clinics. Thank you so much to all those that attended our Southern Oregon one-day clinic. Great turnout and always such a fun group to work with. Coming up are our Eugene one-day clinic and our Eastern Oregon one-day clinic. Both of those are on July 27th. Um, so just coming up in, a, just a, in, in just a couple weeks, really. The Eugene clinic is going to be at North Eugene. Go Highlanders. And the Eastern Oregon Clinic is going to be at Umatilla High School. Viking pride, baby. Don't forget, though, if you're an OCCA member, totally free. And it is a sweet deal. Even if you can't bring your team, I think as a coach, it's totally worth going. I mean, speaking of community building, right? I would say the two things that truly build community within our association are the one-day clinics and conference. Competitions are tough, you know, games are tough because you're really always kind of doing your own thing, right? At games, you might come over and bring a basket to the other team, but how, long, how much do you really hang out? Uh, competitions, I mean, unless you go early and you have all that time to hang out, you know, until the very end, most teams, they show up, they warm up, they uh, they perform, they the, the awards, and then they're out of it. So the real community is built at things like our one-day clinic, are built at conference. And the coaches workshop, I've led a few of the uh, coaches roundtable. I guess it's really more of an appropriate way to say. They're awesome. So many great questions. So many you're able to to, to put people, um, you know, uh, in, a, in a conversation with one another, uh, you know, about, about their programs, especially from a region. Totally worth it if you're a coach. But if you can bring your team, that's even better. Because, one, it's free if you're an OCC member. But, two, I got a chance to see the, um, the dance and the stunt material that's being taught this year. I think it's great. I think your team, your 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 athletes will get a lot out of it, but I I don't know about you, but whenever I bring my teams to things like this, it's not a competition, but my teams seem to perform a little bit better. There's just that competitive aspect because they're around other peers, and so even though they're not competing against Sheldon when we go, or they're not competing against Churchill, they 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 at least wanted to look good in front of their peers. So I always felt like it was worthwhile, and certainly it was. We I got more out of them at that day than I would be at a regular practice and on a Tuesday up in our gym. So definitely worth going. 
But also speaking of the one-day clinics, um, we do have our youth rec uh, clinic in the fall. Uh, just so you know, we're really transitioning away from the youth rec label and just calling it rec because that's going to encompass everything. Um, so we do have the one in the fall specifically for rec teams. Uh, and a lot of teams go to that, but oftentimes because of travel, and I totally get it, it's just more convenient to go to the local one-day clinic. So if I'm in the Eugene area, I go to that one, or if I'm in Central Oregon, right, it, may, it might not be easy to travel in the fall, you know. Um, so we get that a lot of the, the rec teams are going to go to different one-day clinics, not just the, the, the rec one. It is really important, though. That if you are in charge of a rec program, starting this year, if you want to participate in any OCCA-sponsored competition, one-day clinic event, um, you need to make sure you're providing proof of insurance for your rec program. Now, this is really standard outside of Oregon. I mean, it's 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 I mean, it's just a given if you're in another state and you want to do, say, a varsity event. I remember when I was running the middle school program, I wanted to do a UCA event. It, it, you just you have to do it. You have to provide proof of insurance. Um, so what we've done is we've made it really easy. Um, you just have to go to our website. Um, and, and, the, and the reason why we're doing this, just so you know, is we're in a very litigious society, right? So you can't you, you can't just be practicing with your rec team in the park, right, <laughs> without any sort of insurance coverage. I mean, if you are, God bless you. You better knock on wood and hope nothing happens. You, you, you need to be having your rec team covered. But in order to participate in any sort of other event, you're just going to have to provide proof of insurance. The way to do this, because uh, I know a lot of people have asked, like, do I have to bring my proof of insurance with me? Is like my driver's license that I carry with me? Do I have to email it to a competition coordinator? Actually, way easier than that. If you go to OCCA.net, you're going to see an entire tab devoted to rec teams, uh, including the updated handbook, which is really well done. Our president, Sarah, went over uh, this past year, went through it, and really cleaned a lot of it up, and there's just a lot of great information in that handbook. But go to the webpage, click on Coach Education and Training. From there, you're going to see a rec team guidelines tab. It'll say rec team guidelines. Click on that, and then from there, you're just going to see that everything you need for rec teams is right there. Super easy, including a Google form where you fill out your proof of insurance. Then you're done. You're good to go for the year. You just have to do it once a year. So super easy. And finally, a couple updated rules for the 2019-2020 school year. What do you think about fines? Personally, I hate them. I got one speeding ticket in my life, and 12 years later, I'm still bitter about it. I hate giving away my money to worthless things like that. Still bitter. Um, well, if you're like me, you should know that the OCCA and OSAA are working together to finalize a safety violation and fine system. Now, I know a lot of you are like, wait, but isn't there one? Yeah, kind of, but this is like an overhaul, uh, trying to make sure it's totally updated. You know, nobody likes being the bad copper enforcer, and I'm sure it hurt the nice policeman in Newport more than it hurt me. But sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And if it encourages people to be safe, then it's totally worth it. And so the thought is this. Currently, we do have um, certain fines that already exist with the OSAA. Uh, you know, certainly if you think about ineligible athletes, you know, breaking uh, the two competition rule. Um, now, that's not the two competition rule. Like I can't compete at Oregon Elite and then Tualatin. It's kind of an old rule that's not really broken anymore, but there was a couple year period where there's definitely some infractions where what it said was you couldn't compete twice at the same competition with different teams. 
Did I confuse you? It's an old rule. What it looked like was this. Say I was at Oregon Elite and I had an athlete that competed with Thurston in the morning, but then they wanted to compete with their all-star team in the afternoon. They couldn't do that. Um, and it and it caused a lot of teams to – they actually got in trouble for breaking that rule. So the OSAA is not afraid to levy fines and penalties, and they do that when they think it's in the best interest of athletes, whether you agree or disagree. So – what this is looking to do, uh, they're looking to, and it's it's right now it's in the committee stage, but they're 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 planning on having it finalized fairly soon within uh, you know within a couple months. Is there'll be a safety penalty structure that will penalize teams for repeated infractions like jewelry, stunting on unsafe surfaces, etc. You know, sometimes I when I'm driving through, um, you know, the Portland area, sometimes I'll just pop into the OSAA offices since I'm an OSAA rep and I'll, you know, I'll just see what's going on. And so last time I was up, I was able to see a rough draft of what, um, this will look like, uh, when it, when it's voted on by the committee and, it, and it's in total rough draft. So they'll send it back sometimes and say, we want you to edit this, or we need to make these changes. But the, 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 the initial proposal looks like a three tiered penalty system. One that would give teams on the first infraction a warning, more of a gee whiz, this is your educational moment, uh, you know, wearing jewelry is illegal. We should all know that, but, uh, or stunting on the surface is illegal. The second time, the OSAA would levy a, you know, a, a substantial but small fine. And then the third time and then any preceding time, we're looking at pretty stiff penalties. So essentially it's a three strikes and you're out. Uh, and I know a lot of athletic directors, some of them might cover it, but a lot of times they'll say if it's something the coach could have directly prevented, the, a lot of athletic programs will say it's up to the coach to pay that penalty. So if you're getting a $250 fine for jewelry, the athletic department, you know, you know, is not going to pay for it. They're going to say, coach, that's on you because you could have controlled that. And I know there's a lot of questions probably about like competitions. Like, you know, for, for example, I had one coach ask me like, well, but so what if my team does an illegal stunt at a competition, but I didn't know it was illegal. Is, am I going to get the warning and in trouble? The proposal doesn't really look to enforce that. And the reason why is the thought is the penalty system at the competition level takes care of that. So if my team does an illegal stunt or has an illegal grip, we're, we're the, the penalty we'll get is going to be on the score sheet, right? So it's not looking to punish you uh, in, that, in that aspect. It's looking to make sure teams are making positive choices by not wearing jewelry at football games or at parades in their communities, like stunting on unsafe surfaces like concrete. And I would say at most... Uh, at some point, most teams have broken one of these rules. So, for example, my team up until this year, uh, we stunted every time we went to nationals in front of the Disneyland castle. That's illegal because that's on concrete. You can't do that unless you want to bring foldable mats and break them out. Uh, unless you can find a patch of grass, right? That that's illegal. And and so we broke that. I have lots of pictures of us stunting in front of the castle. We didn't do that this year because I've been educated on the fact that, like, even though it's Disneyland, even though it's this really cool moment, like, you can't stunt on the concrete in front of the castle. So it's not meant to punish teams, but really serve as more of an educational uh, opportunity. But then when teams potentially don't make corrections, that, that at that point, the penalty obviously would happen. So, uh, and like I said, the OSAA has no problem giving out penalties, especially when they feel like that a fine is going to correct um, potentially unsafe behavior. And lastly, before we get to some emails and tweets, what do you think about basket tosses? Are you a team that excels in them? 
beautiful Pike Pretty Lady baskets, kickfuls. Love me a well-executed hitch kickful. Or are you a team that struggles teaching baskets? There's no shame in that. I mean, baskets are a tough skill to teach, and they're really tough to execute well. You know, maybe you're a team that threw a single trick basket at state last year. What would that have been? Two to three point nine in the difficulty range. But maybe you also got hammered in execution because it's really hard, especially if you're a smaller team, a newer program, to get multiple flyers to get to that majority that are doing well-executed baskets. What if I told you, though, you no longer had to throw baskets as a required element on our score sheets? We have totally taken this out, and most of you already know this, but some teams, even as of last week, we were getting questions about this because they were just finding out. Personally, I love baskets. I'm a basket toss guy, so if you if you have a program that does great baskets, keep on keeping on. But if you're a team that's struggling to throw single-trick baskets, I mean, heck, I think last year or the year before, we still had teams at state that were throwing just straight-ride baskets. If, if that's where you're at, and, and there's no shame in that, because a lot of times it comes down to resources and the opportunity to be able to teach. I mean, I know some people, they can't do baskets at practice because their practice rooms, that the ceiling's not high enough to be able to safely even practice them. I, I, I've talked to teams where they're like, we have to practice here, but to do baskets, we can never actually do them full out. We have to go to our cafeteria and we have to throw because it has the higher ceiling. I mean, you can understand there's just a lot of teams where throwing really good baskets puts them at a competitive disadvantage because they don't get the opportunity to practice and then really be, becomes a safety issue. And that is really our biggest goal in here is to make sure that teams are able to be safe. Here's what's neat about this new rule. Now you have to execute four skills within a range to be able to get there. So we've, we've upped that, right? But baskets will count as one of those skills. However, we've also changed the language. Before it was very ambiguous when it came to like front flexibility and back flexibility. Now we've gone through, and as we've revised the score sheets and revised the rubric, you are getting rewarded now for specifically throwing front flexibility as well as specifically then throwing back flexibility. There's just so many more options. I feel like we're going to see less cookie cutter style routines that, as we have in the last couple of years. I think you're gonna, we're going to see a lot safer and more dynamic routines because people are going to feel like they can get those points instead of doing a basket. Maybe they're going to do an inversion. Maybe they're going to do some sort of dismount. Ultimately, I think it's going to be really good for the state of Oregon. And, and why are we doing this? It's where the industry's going. Most nationals have begun removing the requirement of basket tosses um, at nationals. So we're trying to set teams up to be successful. And ultimately, we want people to feel like they can be safe. The, the worst case scenario that we see is a team that feels like they have to keep up with the Joneses. That because this team in our division can throw amazing basket tosses, we have to do that even though we literally can't practice basket tosses two out of three days a week because of our practice facility. Once we can get into the cafeteria, we can throw a basket, but we never actually get to do it at full speed within the context of a routine. Right? You, you can just imagine... The situation. Some of you are living this, where the, the 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 stress of having to practice, execute, and perform baskets, it can be really scary. And if you and if you really care about your kids, I think most teams will see that this is a, this is a great move. 
Now, I'm a basket toss guy. I love that basket tosses are quick. I love that they're dynamic. I love that wow factor. They don't take up a lot of eight counts. So for me, if I have a team that can execute them, I'm still going to do it because I, I just love that aspect of cheer. But it's no longer a requirement, and I think we're going to actually see some major benefits during competition season because of that. But what do you guys think of this? Think it's a good idea? I think what I'll do is maybe we'll start a, uh, a conversation on Facebook. That seems to be the best place to start a conversation. And maybe we'll do that in the next couple days after the podcast comes out. In the meantime, I've got to run back over to the NCA camp. I promised them I'd come over to get some pictures and videos. And then I want to go grab a sandwich at Togo's. I never get to go to that place down in Eugene. And so I'm excited that they have one here at the Memorial Union. Uh, at Oregon State, but maybe what I'll do is I'll try to get some audio of some of the Oregon teams that are at this NCAA cheer camp, and maybe I'll play for the, uh, play them for you on the back end. Coaches, did you receive an OCCA hat at conference this past spring? Well, now is your time to show us what you're up to this summer. Going to the coast? Crater Lake? Maybe the zoo? Or somewhere out of state? Take a fun pic, post it, or send it to us directly. But be sure to hashtag it, hat for a chance to be featured on our social media channels. Let's see where the OCCA is going this summer. Anybody know what team that was before the My OCCA hat promo? That, of course, were our friends from Ridgeview who are working on their game day material over at the NCA camp. Now, I'm looking at all the emails and tweets from this past year, and I think I've been able to narrow it down. If I combine a bunch of them, because a lot of them are very similar, realistically, I think I have about eight or nine. And if I'm being honest with myself, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to all eight or nine today. And that's okay. I am a teacher on summer break, so I've got nothing but time. So maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to answer as many of these questions as I can. I want to try to answer as in-depth and you know, uh, and give some really good responses to each of these. Um, but what I'll do is if I end up not being able to get to all of them, because I do have a feeling I'm going to be pressed for time, what I'll do is I will do a part two, and I'll have that out in the next week or so. So without any further ado, let's get to some emails. So this first email came from a coach in Portland way back in April. And I ended up talking to this coach one-on-one -on -one specifically, but I think it's a good question, and I think it's actually a repeat question from an earlier uh, episode of the Cheercast, but I would be remiss if I thought that everyone listens to every episode of the Cheercast. So I think I answered this in, in the first season. I think it's a good question, though, to revisit. Um, let, let's see. I, what I should do is record this now and see if my response is similar um, to what it was the first time I was asked this question. But the question goes like this. Hey, Coach James, what are your thoughts on putting freshmen on varsity? So obviously I think a lot of smaller schools and teams around the state, it's not really a question because if you only have one team, if you only have a varsity team, obviously if a freshman makes it, they're going to make the team. 
like you know personally my thought on this has evolved over the years when i first started i used to think oh, of course freshmen if they're deserving they should be on varsity as i got a little bit older though i i i I kind of changed a little bit as far as my theory on this, okay? Um, I do believe that if a freshman is truly talented enough, they should be placed on varsity. If if you need them and they're talented enough and they belong to, uh, they deserve to be there, you should put them on varsity. However, what I've come to think as time has gone on is that freshmen don't necessarily need to be on varsity right away. So for our bigger schools that have a freshman, a JV, and a varsity program, and have this as an option, consider consider this maybe in the future, at least thinking about this. Think about if you've ever been to a marathon or any sort of like, you know, half marathon, you know, long, not really probably not at a 5K, but really at a marathon is what I'm thinking of. A lot of times they'll have, in addition to water stations, but they'll also have like spirit stations, you know, stations where maybe they'll have like a local group playing music at a random mile post, you know, maybe they'll get a high school band or they'll get, you know, a group just cheering people on. And, And the idea is, you know, when you're running a marathon, you have great energy to start, but by mile 12, mile 18, mile 21, right, you start to lose a little bit of that steam naturally so they'll have these groups and and my cheer teams we've done these over the years i remember we did this for the eugene marathon before we did this for a local als walk where they would ask our group to volunteer and we would be at random milepost 16 and as groups of runners would come by we would cheer them on with our palms one year we did this really cool like hawaiian theme and we played hawaiian music and almost to a t Every time we've done something like this, I've had at least a couple runners after the event come up and say, thank you so much for having your group here. I can't tell you what a fun boost that was to be at mile 17 and then to have just this, you know, just this infusion of energy. I want you to think of your first year of high school, if you were a cheerleader, like a marathon, right? If you start off and you make a varsity team right away, what now is what 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 are you striving for everything your freshman year is going to be really fun so just making a team is going to be a, a big deal i made the high school team also the reason why i like having freshmen say that they're going to be on the freshman or jv team at least to begin with it's going to force them to bond with people maybe they didn't cheer with in middle school if you have cheerleaders like a, 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 a town like Springfield where you have kids coming from multiple middle schools, and, and most schools do, you're going to have people that don't necessarily know everybody that's on their team. So having them be on a freshman or JV team, at least initially, I think that's going to force them to bond. Never forget, they've got to be on a team with many of these people for the next four years, not just the people that are on varsity maybe for this year. So for me, I think of it like a marathon. Like how can I stretch out that excitement and that energy over the course of a full year. So what I have come to do as a coach is this. We set this rule that all freshmen were either going to be on our freshman or JV team, depending on what we offered, at least through the first football game. Now, that means they're going to make the team. They're going to be super excited, right? They are going to go to camp. That's super exciting because it's their first high school camp. Daily doubles, 
first football game, they're, they're going to have this great experience because everything's going to be the first time. Trust me, daily doubles your sophomore year, not so exciting. Daily doubles your first year of high school, a lot of times your freshmen are the first ones there. They are waiting and they're they're excited to get in. They, they love, I mean, everything they love. So what we would do is we started saying freshmen after the first football game could get pulled up. Now, their peers that they went to camp with, that they were in daily doubles with, they were really excited for them because now they've been actually on a team and they've done stuff with them. Now they're, the other freshmen, the other younger athletes, they're really excited when they get pulled up. For the varsity kids, they also feel like these new members – have earned it because they worked hard in the summer. They worked hard at camp. If they truly deserve to be on varsity, it's going to be evident when they're at camp. It's going to be evident in daily doubles. So now people really feel excited for them because they've been able to see not just a first date situation where, oh, they looked really good at tryouts, but are they going to be really good in August and September, right, when we need them? So my thought is this, if you have the ability, if you need a kid right away because you really have no flyers, if you need somebody right away because they're your tumbler and you need that base, totally understandable that you're going to put them on varsity. But if you can wait, if you wait and now suddenly you pull them up in the middle of October, right before homecoming, you have now provided, just like a marathon, that extra boost, because at some point their freshman year, things aren't going to be as exciting. At first, everything's really exciting, right? Making the team, camp, daily doubles, football game. But at some point, if you can just like having that group at the Eugene Marathon or the Portland Marathon that's really there to just provide that spirit at the random mile 17, if you pull them up and you say you want them before Allstate, okay, pull them up the first part of October. We're not releasing the Allstate material anyways until a month before, so how much earlier do you need to pull them? How long are you truly working on your Allstate routines? Are you working on them in July? Do you really need that freshman flyer or that base then? So food for thought. Obviously, if you're a smaller school, they're just going to be put on varsity. There it is. But I, I like that old, what's that old saying? Be sure to leave some cake on the table. I think if you look at it from a sports psychology aspect, if you can wait to pull them up until you truly need them, you're just providing one more moment rather than, hey, you're on the high school team and varsity and it's April. What do you truly have to work and look forward to? But if you can stretch that out, now when it's randomly at mile 17 or 18, it's randomly in October that they're getting pulled up. That is just one more infusion of energy and excitement when they get pulled up. And I think they're going to benefit because keep in mind, just like a marathon, you don't really need them for Allstate. You don't really need them for game day championships. You probably want them at their best the second week of February. So if you can stretch that out and create pockets where you can infuse energy, I think to get someone through their first full year of high school cheer, something like that's going to really benefit a team. All right, this next one is an easy and fun one that I thought I'd just throw in there. But I, I was somebody did actually tweet this at me, and their question was, Hey, Coach James, what is your all-time favorite cheer movie? The answer to that really should be, is there a good cheer movie? <laughs> right? Because there's a lot of bad ones out there. 
I mean, Netflix has 20 of them right now, I swear. So many bad cheer movies. It must have been about a month ago I got sucked into watching this horrible one. My wife Katie went to bed, and I somehow ended up on the couch rocking my little guy Lincoln. He had a double ear infection, right? So the, just to preface this, because I, I, you'd say, how do you, how'd you get sucked into watching this, right? But I, I was rocking him. He had a double ear infection, so he had to be like somewhat upright. Otherwise, he just couldn't fall asleep. And my wife went to bed, so I'm rocking him on the couch, and we ended up putting on this movie that looked like it might be good. I think it was called Going for Gold. It was wretched. My wife went to bed. The remote was stuck across the room. I can't move because I'm afraid of waking up my little guy Lincoln. It it was basically if I if I remember the general premise because I think I finally just fell asleep. It was about this girl who moved from the U.S. to Australia, and she started a cheer team there. I mean, the acting was horrible. The, the only thing that's the only redeeming quality uh, for ninety minutes of this movie was the fact that they had some pretty sweet down under accents. Other than that, it was pretty horrendous. But in all fairness, I'm rereading the question or the tweet, I guess, and and the question did say, "What is my favorite? What not? What is a good cheer movie?" So. I would have to say if, if you're if you're going with favorite, I'm I'm kind of a classic, and, and because I'm really nostalgic, I would have to go with the original Bring It On. It came out when I was cheering in college, and I remember going to see the movie in the theater and just all the hype around it. So I definitely like that one. Although I would say my guilty Bring It On pleasure would have to be in terms of if I had to just watch a movie. I I did like it. Um, what was is it the the In It to Win It? That would definitely have to be my guilty pleasure watch. Uh, isn't that the one where like the, they go to camp and they battle the team from New York, right? So I, I don't know. I, I like that one. But I will say if I could go a non-movie route, I loved back in the day that series on Dunbar High. I mean, I, I know I'm getting old and I, I feel like that was like, what, 2007 or so? I mean, it was a while ago, but... What I liked about it is, one, they did actual legal stunts, unlike any other cheer movie, right? Uh, they, two, they were actual cheer team. It was a reality show, so, I mean, there is some part of it, you know, that was somewhat contrived, and it was never 100% organic, you could tell. But it was fun to watch, and, and, I, and, I, and I liked it, especially because I was right about when I would transition from coaching football and I was getting into coaching cheer. Um, but... I think they have a new one out that I saw, Cheerleader Generation. I think I saw an advertisement for it on YouTube. And I think it's it's the same mom, right, from Kentucky. But I think, like, also her daughter, if I remember right. Don't quote me on this. Uh, it's, it was called Cheerleader Generation. But what I liked about it is it actually had some scenes from her coaching a college team. Looked like down south for sure, like Mississippi, Mississippi State, one of the Ole Miss maybe, one of those teams. So I'm, I'm excited for that because that at least is truly like fun and entertaining to watch. The other ones are really more guilty pleasures, but I also get more just like aggravated watching the Bring It On movies. I mean, it's just, I, I, I do this with, with football movies, right? When I watch football movies and watch the way that they tackle and the way they play, none of it's realistic. So, I mean, all of it is just for viewing entertainment. So you have to suspend your, you know, your, your, your disbelief. But I, I would say that the, the series on Dunbar and then also that new one, um, cheerleader generation I'm really excited for
Moving on, this next one's a fun one, and it comes from a coach in Central Oregon who wrote to me and said, Hey, Coach James, what competition or competitions are you most excited for this coming year? Okay, I'm going to base this answer on a premise that everyone has looked at the OSAA sanctioned calendar. Let's be honest, who hasn't looked at it? Personally, I geek out on schedules. When the NFL schedule comes out, I'm always looking at it to see, like, who are the Seahawks playing? What are the big games? And when the Blazers schedule comes out, I do the same thing, or I'm looking to see, like, when are the Lakers in town? So naturally, the moment our calendar comes out for cheer, I'm always looking to see what stands out. And so rather than saying, like, what I'm most excited for, although I do have an idea for that, I do want to point out some things that really stood out to me on this. First of all, how awesome is it that Springfield has a competition again? That Springfield competition was just a hallmark of that second or third week of January, whenever that was. It was always so well run. I just, going back to my college days, I remember that always being such a big pre-state event. So I was really bummed a couple years ago when they lost it, but I'm super excited this year that it's back. Obviously, Sweet Home has their competition, and it's early again, but it is really well run. So I'm glad that we've, at least as an association, rewarded them with an opportunity to to continue doing that competition. So I think that's great. But I also really like the idea that Roseburg's hosting a competition. I think that is going to be a really interesting competition to see how that plays out. I've got a theory that the reason why Southern Oregon always struggled getting a lot of teams to their competition is just a lot of portland salem eugene teams they're just they're not traveling down there right they're just there's no way they're traveling to southern oregon on a january you know saturday but by having it in roseburg you're still gonna pull a lot of those southern oregon teams and i do feel bad trust me henley you know how much respect i have for how much traveling they did but nothing is is a quick trip for a Marshfield. Nothing is a quick trip for a Cascade Christian. But at least it's still in that Southern Oregon region by having it at Roseburg. But now you should be able to theoretically pull some of those teams from the Eugene area. Because if you look at it, Roseburg's only 55 minutes, an hour, just over, depending on what part of the Eugene area you're from. So I think you might be able to pull some of those Eugene schools, which is going to make a Southern Oregon competition much more viable. So I'm really excited to see that that stood out. But probably the competition that I'm truly excited for is our game day fall championships. You know, this competition just keeps growing and growing. And each year as an association, we get better at running at this event. And it just becomes more fun to watch. I'm, I'm super excited to see the venue specifically at Willamette University. It is a great facility. I have been there for several athletic events over the years. And I'm excited to see how that transitions into a cheer venue, right? How does that, as a cheer arena, how is that going to work? Mark my words, though. If Willamette University does a great job hosting our game day championships, Don't be surprised if their name isn't thrown into the hat down the road for a potential landing spot for state. Because our contract with Memorial Coliseum is up in a couple years, and there's going to be an opportunity to truly make the decision, are we happy at Memorial Coliseum, or are we ready to move our championships maybe to Salem, which is a great 
central location for the entire state, or maybe Corvallis, maybe Eugene, we'll see. But I do think that game day championships at Willamette University, I think that, one, it's going to be a great event, but I'm excited to see how that facility plays out in terms of hosting a, a major cheer competition like that. All right, I'm looking at my phone, and I see that I'm getting ridiculously close to my one-hour time limit that I have for each episode of the Cheercast. So I guess that just means I'm going to have to do a part two in the next week or so. But before I get to that, I do want to answer this last question from a coach in Eugene who asks, Hey, Coach James, what team or teams do you see having breakout years this coming season? Wow, that is a fun yet ridiculously hard question to answer. You know, especially because it's the second week of July, I think what I'm going to ask for is a little bit of grace on this. We have a lot of real estate ahead of us, and so this could totally change. I mean, this might change by October, by, you know, before fall game day championships or right after Allstate, but I'm going to take a stab at this, but where I'm struggling is how you define breakout because my first thought was Tualatin or Mac High. And I would say that's that's not a breakout season if either of them do really, really well. So, But I thought about them, and here's why. Both of those teams have had a lot of success in recent years, and both of them are bound and determined to get to the top of that large co-ed division again. They have both been working so hard. I think a healthy Tualatin team could be scary good this year. I mean, I'm talking like historically... Like, just awesome. If all the chips fall into place, I know that coaching staff, I know how hard those athletes have been working in this offseason. I think Tualatin could be scary good. I mean, that's really the word that I, I want to use. I, I, I'm i really excited to see them. I know they really want to get back to the top of that large co-ed division mountain. They want to get to the top of that, uh, and they want to claim that title again. Um, but I also really like Mac High, and, and here's why. I got to work with some of their athletes for the Les Schwab Bowl. They had a couple, some underclassmen, some some juniors that were able to participate because we had some seniors that bailed out. I think Mac High might have the best set of flyers in the entire state. Now, there's a lot of great flyers in the state, uh, and I could go down the list of like great individual flyers. Mac High has two that are just, I mean, a dual threat uh, with Lexi and Christina. I got to work with them at the Les Bowl. They both have star power written all over them. I mean, it would be a blessing just to have a flyer like Lexi, who I think is going to be in, in the conversation this year uh, as potentially one of the truly elite flyers in the last decade of Oregon cheer. But you pair her up with Christina, who I think is just phenomenal. And I had a blast working with her at the Les Schwab Bowl. You suddenly have a dual threat at Mac High this coming year that I think, I mean, it's a luxury just most coaches could only dream of is having flyers like that. And that's another group that just year in, year out, Coach Tracy knows how to push all the right buttons. You know you're going to get the best out of those athletes. And so when you already come into the season with amazing athletes, it's exciting to think about where they're going to go. Now, let's go back to that word breakout because the first team when I think of breakout is a team that I I, I want to give the caveat that I, I, I don't think that you, we should say that they would be having a breakout season because I think they've already had that. But I thought about Ridgeview as well. But it makes me leery even bringing them up for this reason. One, 
they got second last year, and that was amazing. So in terms of upward mobility, they're very limited. Could they win it? I think they could, uh, but that's just that puts a lot of really high expectations on them. I think if I'm a team like Ridgeview, another top three finish solidifies us as a dominant 5A team, and that's really where you want to be. All programs would like to win the big one, but what you want is consistency. You want to have a program that you're so proud of that people don't look at your program and saying, oh, well, that was a one-year fluke because this happened and this happened, right? You want to be the teams that year in and year out, you know, like a Mac high, that you know they're going to be competing for a top three uh, finish and a top three spot. So I think Ridgeview, that is, that's, that's where I see them this year is finishing in that top three again, solidifies themselves as a dominant 5A team. The other reason why I don't want to suggest Ridgeview is because I don't want to wake the beast that is South Albany. They've already won four in a row, right? The five eight teams. You don't want me saying uh, your name. You don't want me saying South. Uh, you don't want me saying Ridgeview because South Albany. Uh, if you freaking rock the boat with them, I mean, they might just run off another three or four titles just to shove it to you, right? So the, that program. Amazing coaches, amazing athletes. They don't need any more motivation. So I'm going to be really hesitant to suggest you know any 5A teams. So just by process of deduction, the team that I think is going to have a breakout year in 2019-2020 is Mountainside. I think they are poised after having a great year this past year, great showing at state, getting that trophy, uh, great uh, showing at nationals. I think that they are poised to truly have a breakout year. I know getting that trophy at state was just awesome. Um, you know, the first time getting a trophy, it is there is such an amazing experience to that. But now they're going to look to move up. And a lot of people forget that they were just a Scotia away from getting fourth place. So I think with great coaching, great energy, stability that's now within that program, I think you're going to see Mountainside having a breakout year during the 2019-2020 season. So they would be my choice. Now, if I was a betting man, the easy money would have been a lower, right? You could you could easily bring them up because they weren't at state last year, but th that's just too easy. And again, I don't know if you should put the breakout label with a Loa. Uh, we know how good a Loa is, and and trust me, I, I know we're going to be talking about that six A division this this coming year. So I want to save all conversation about that for a later date because I I have a feeling that's going to fill many an episode of the of the cheer cast down the road so let's wait to talk about a low in that 6a division all right how do we do hopefully this was a nice little midsummer surprise for most of you out there i could see a lot of people potentially listening to this during the moratorium week um you know that first part of the moratorium, moratorium week people like to take off and not even think about cheer but that second part you start to gear back up especially as coaches you start thinking about what you need to do you start getting ready for daily doubles so i can see a lot of coaches having this on um but i do want to say this because i didn't get to all of the questions I am going to do a part two of this, and so look for that in the next week or so. I've got I've got a couple camps that my boys are doing this summer, so I'm going to be Mr. Dad driving them around, but in between, I'll try to record part two. As we leave today, I was able to uh, get some audio from another team, our friends from West Salem, who are working on their game day material at the NCAA camp. So enjoy a little audio from them working on their game day material. Look for part two of the cheer cast coming out in the next couple weeks. We'll talk to you soon.
The Cheercast with Coach James Underwood online at OCCA.net and on Twitter at ORCheerCoaches.